Ladies and gentlemen, Secretary of Defense. Please be seated. I'm John Keller. Obviously, you're wondering why you're here. So, these are the facts. At 1900 local time yesterday, Soxon Ford Operations Base in Qatar was attacked. So far as we know, there were no survivors. The objective of the attack was to hack our military network. We're not sure exactly what they're after, but we do know that they were cut off during the assault, which would lead us to assume that they're going to try it again. Now, no one's taking responsibility for the attack. And the only real lead we have so far is this sound. That's the signal that hacked our network. NSA's working at full capacity to analyze it and intercept further communications, but we need your help to find out who did this. We've all shown considerable ability in the area of signals analysis. We're on a hair trigger here, people. The president has dispatched battle groups the Arabian Gulf and the Yellow Sea. This is as real as it's ever going to get. Now I'm going to leave you to your officer in charge of break up into teams and you start your work. Good luck to us all. Now what's going on here is an American military base has been attacked and our government in the movie does what any government would do when they are attacked. They are mobilizing for war. The problem is they're mobilizing for the wrong war. They don't know who the real enemy is. And they thought they knew the enemy, but they were confused. They were wrong. And if I were to ask you today who your enemies are, I'm willing we could turn over the back of our registration cards and you could start writing down names of people who make your life miserable and they seem to enjoy it, right? And if I were to say who are your enemies, you could come up with a list like, and, and we don't need to discuss that. Don't talk about it right now. But you could write that list down. But I'm going to tell you something. Most of the time, we spend way too much time and energy fighting the wrong battles. The real battle is inside. We, if you look in the mirror, you will see your real worst enemy. We are the enemy. The battle of the mind has to be won. If we're ever going to be the men, the women, the husbands, the wives that God wants us to be, we've got to win this battle of the mind. We've got to realize that there's a battle going on there. And if you do win this battle, anything is possible. Anything. With God's help. Sam thinks that he, um, he has problems. But he's about to find out that he's got more problems. See, he, he thinks that, okay, I've got no life. My parents are weird. My dog is injured and addicted to painkillers. Uh, I have no girlfriend. And uh, my life sucks. He thinks that. That's what he's thinking right now. But he's about to see that his life can get worse because it can always get worse. Check this out.
Whoever finds this in my car is alive, okay? You saw that? Put your head on the hood. Look, I can't be any clearer on how crystal clear I am being. He just stood up. Just stood up. Wow. It's really neat. Okay, Chiefy. Time to fill her up. And no drippy drippy. What are you rolling? Whippets, goofballs? Little wowie sauce with the boys? No, I'm not on any drugs. What's these? Down in your pocket. Mojo. Is that what the kids are doing now? A little bit of mojo. Those are my dog's pain pills. Yeah, I... Chihuahua. What was that? Hmm? You eyeball my piece, 50 Cent? Oh. You wanna go? Make something happen, do it. Because I promise you, I will bust you up. Are you on drugs? Now, before this, um, Sam would not have believed that a car could just change, that it could just stand up, but he's become a believer. He has a different perspective, but no one else will believe him. So they think he's kind of crazy. They're skeptical of anyone who says that this can happen. Now, if you translate this into our world, into the Christian world, there's a lot of people that don't believe, number one, there's a God, and if there is a God, they don't believe that God has the power to change anybody. But the message of the Bible is that not only does God have the power to change people, He's been doing it as long as people have been on the planet. Well, how can God change you? If you're going to be transformed today, then we've got to do some things. Number one on your listening guide is you've got to change the way you think. Believe it or not, you have a choice about how you think, about what you think. You have a choice. And the verse, some of you heard this. This was one of the first verses I memorized when I was a kid. Romans 12, 2. It's a little bit different translation, New Century Version. It says, do not change yourselves to be like the people of this world. Okay, there's two types of change in this verse. There is a change where we can be like the world. We can choose to be like the world. We can be a chameleon. We can be like this group or this group. Whatever group we're like, we can be like them. The Bible says, do not do that. Look at the next part. But be changed. I want you to circle those two, two words. Be changed. Do not change yourselves to be like the people of this world, but be changed within by a new way of thinking. Then you will be able to decide what God wants for you. You will know what is good and pleasing to Him and what is perfect. Now, a lot of people, I've never had anybody say, I don't want to know what God wants for me. Never had anybody say that. I've had everybody for years, as I was a youth minister, I'd go around and I'd do disciple nows or I'd be at different churches and I would say, how many of you would like to know what God wants from you? Every hand would go up. But most people are not willing to pay the price to figure out what God wants them to do. You've got to become the person. Before God tells you what to do, He wants you to be the person that He created you to be. And the way you've got to do that first is be changed in your thinking. Now, this, this word change, this be changed, literally means to be transformed. The idea, and probably many of you have heard this, I've heard this since I was a kid in churches, the idea is the word metamorphosis. The cool thing about Scripture, God, I believe God had the Old Testament uh, uh, 
written down in Hebrew and Aramaic and the New Testament written down in Greek because every word had a picture that went with it. And when you said in this verse, when it said to be transformed, the picture was metamorphosis. And, and if you've been in any classes in school, you know about metamorphosis. It's what happens when a caterpillar spins that cocoon, goes inside the cocoon, and then comes out as a beautiful butterfly. What happened to the caterpillar? It has been transformed. A metamorphosis has taken place so that you can look for the evidence of the caterpillar, but it's no longer there. It has gone through a foundational change that radically will alter the, the way it does the rest of its life. And if you apply that to us as Christians... The Bible says that we're changed. It's like going into this cocoon of God's grace and allowing God to change us from the inside out, to transform us. We go through a fundamental change that radically alters the way we do the rest of our lives. It's kind of like I read this week about a father and son from a third world country. I mean, third world, no running water, no electricity, no toilets, no convenience of any kind. They lived in huts. Somehow they got to come to the United States. And specifically, they went to Southern California, to Orange County. What kind of craziness is that? And they're going around, they're seeing all the sights and sounds, things they've never comprehended before. It's just all in front of them. They're in awe. Somehow they find their way to Macy's in Orange County, California. And they see these strangest walls that they've ever seen before. These walls open and they close. As they stand there and watch, they open, people get on, they close, and they don't know what's going on. The son looks at his dad and he said, Dad, what is that? And dad goes, I don't know, I've never seen it before. And as they're trying to figure out what's going on, this little old lady kind of shuffles over there. Painfully, she pushes a button next to the walls. She gets on, the walls close. And for the first time, they see these numbers above the doors. And they light up. One, two, three. And it pauses on three. And after a few seconds, it comes back down. Three, two, one. The walls open and out steps this beautiful 20-something-year-old young lady. The dad's eyes got wide. And he said, son, go get your mother. <laughs> now, the dude's on to something. Not changing your wife like the State Farm commercial, like a good neighbor, State Farm's there. Change me back. Y'all have seen that commercial, right? Okay. No, that, that's not what I'm talking about. What he's on to is there's this idea that I can take something very unappealing. I can put it in this cocoon and with the proper amount of God's grace and, and time, if I choose... God can, can transform that unappealing thing about me or about my past and make it something very appealing. It's the only place I've found in the world that offers that is through Jesus Christ. The same power, the Bible says, that raised Christ from the dead can transform you and your past and your family. And God can do things. Jesus said all things are possible with God. He can transform you. Being transformed is really about attitude. And our attitude is a reflection of what we have put into them. Our attitude is an inward feeling that is expressed outwardly in behavior. Catch that. Attitudes are inward feelings expressed in outward behaviors. That's why attitudes can be seen even when they're not heard. 
You don't believe that? Go to downtown Dallas or Houston. Anytime between 4 and 6 p.m. on Monday through Friday. You don't have to hear a word from the other drivers, but you know their attitudes, don't you? Attitudes can be seen. And here's the thing. Attitudes, the other people don't create your attitude. They reveal your attitude. If you have a bad attitude today, it has absolutely nothing to do with what other people have done to you. If your attitude is bad today, it has everything to do with you choosing to respond inappropriately to what's going on in your life. Let me illustrate this way. What do I have right here in my hand? Coca-Cola. This is some of our uh, fountain drinks. We have these for uh, Coke floats. My wife just has special things for everything. This is a Coke float glass from our house. Now, if I pour this Coca-Cola product into my glass and I fill it all the way up, may take a while. You'll see it, right? If I get it all the way up to the top, and then I set it down here. Now, if I come along and I bump into this Coke float glass, what is going to spill out? Coca-Cola. Are you sure? It's not Kool-Aid. It's not milk. It's not water. The principle is this. If I bump into this glass, what's going to come out is whatever I put into it. Everybody, everybody understand that? Good deal. You can go home now. Now, here's the question. If someone bumps into you today, what's going to come out? <laughs> Somebody said anger. It's whatever you've been putting in. It's whatever you've been feeding on. That's what's going to come out of you today when you're bumped into. If you've been spending consistent time reading God's Word on a daily basis, praying, listening to Christian music, hanging out with people who love God and love you and encourage you to love God, you've gone to Bible study, you've gone to worship, you've gone to a small group, and then someone bumps into you, if you've saturated yourself with those things, what is more likely to come out? Now, sure, we're humans, and so you got those thoughts. But if you're training yourself to become more like God and allowing His Spirit to take all of that stuff you put inside to transform your heart, you are more likely to have something positive come out than negative. But if you go the other side of that, if you're neglecting your time with God on a daily basis, you're not reading the Word, you're not praying, you're not listening to Christian music, you're not going to worship, you're skipping church, you're skipping Bible study... And then someone bumps into you. What is likely to come out? I mean, I know you're worried about your bills. I know you're worried about your sorry husband. But if that's all you ever think about, someone bumps into you, it's not pretty what comes out. Am I right? This is a biblical principle. It comes from Proverbs 4.23. It says, be careful what you think. Because your thoughts run your life. What you think you are. Whatever you concentrate on is what you become. If you fill your life with trash, the movies you watch, the music you listen to, the people you hang out with, you spend your time gossiping about this person and that person, why would you think that God would waste His Holy Spirit on you? Because God says, I don't work that way. God says, I'm looking for humble people who are broken before me because I can use them to transform the world. 
See, we're all going to have problems. Jesus had problems. I don't know why we think that we don't have problems if the founder of our religion had problems. And then he says, you're going to have problems. I don't know why we get so upset when problems come. I think we need to have an attitude adjustment about problems. Maybe we need to start calling them opportunities. And this, again, comes from Scripture. This comes from the half-brother of Jesus. James says this in in chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. He said, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles come your way, consider it what? An opportunity for great joy. That sounds stupid, doesn't it? You want me to be happy about trouble? Well, here's why. Look what he says. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. Adversity actually promotes spiritual maturity. And your spiritual maturity is more important to your heavenly father than your happiness. Your spiritual maturity you carry with you into heaven if you're a follower of Christ. Your happiness is temporary and depends on the circumstances around you. God says, I want to transform you in spite of the circumstances. Every problem you have is a lesson. It's an opportunity. And if you don't learn the lesson the first time, the problems, the opportunities get harder. Until finally you get to the bottom and you say, I can't do this anymore. And God says, yes. Now we can get somewhere. Now I can use you and I can change you. Well, in this next scene, Sam and Michaela have been bumped into. (laughs) They've been confronted uh, with a major opportunity. And they've got a choice about their future. Check out the choice they make. What is it? It's a robot. But like like a different, you know, like a super advanced robot. It's probably Japanese. Yeah. It's definitely Japanese. What are you doing? I don't think it wants to hurt us. We've done that already. Really? Well, do you speak robot? Because they just have like a giant joint death match. I think it wants something from me. What? Because the other one was talking about my eBay page. You are the strangest boy I have ever met. Can you talk? XM satellite ring. Digital cable brings you the broadcasting system. So you you talk to the radio? Actually, you do. You're, you're wonderful. You're wonderful. So what was that last night? What was that? Rocky inanimate vastness of things. Down like visitors from heaven. Visitors from heaven. What? What are you like an alien or something? <laughs> Any more questions you want to ask? Wants us to get an ankle. And go where? Fifty years from now, when you're looking back at your life, don't you want to be able to say you had the guts to get in the car? Earlier in the movie, Sam's running from the car. Take the keys, I don't want it. But he's had a change of heart. He's had a change of perspective. And and he's saying. 50 years from now, don't you want to be able to say that you got in the car? When, when we were deciding whether to start New Life nine years ago, Janie and I were sitting at Lower Lake praying like crazy, trying to figure out what God wanted us to do. And Janie said these words. She said, I don't want to look back 20 years from now and say, why didn't we try it? Why didn't we make an effort? 
And it's been all kinds of ups and downs, all kinds of trials and tribulations, but it's been the greatest adventure that we've ever taken in our lives. And see, I can tell you, I can predict your future. I can tell you what the next 50 years are going to be like by the way you respond to opportunities, by the way you respond to problems that are in your life. Now, some of you... uh have been running from your pain. You've been running from your past. And God says, I don't want you to do that. God says, I want you to have the courage to bring it out into the open. And it seems scary, and I don't want people to know my business. And God says, everybody knows your business anyway. The, the, the lie from hell is that no one knows that you're messed up. Everybody knows. And they're wishing that you would come out in the open. Because God can change you. He can do some incredible things. So God wants us to do something second. First, He wants to change the way we think. He wants us to focus on others. See, most of us here, and it's real easy to do because our enemy is really good at this, but it's real easy for me to focus on me. It's real easy for me to focus on my problems and say, I don't have time for your problems. But the way that Jesus Christ lived, and the Bible says we're supposed to have the same attitude that He had, is he focused on others in spite of the problems? And some of you are going, well, how can we do that? Well, Philippians 2.4 says this. Do not be interested only in your own life, but be interested in the lives of others. So there's a command from Scripture. It's not a suggestion. It's be interested in others. Well, how do you do that? Well, let me read you a story about someone whose life was radically changed. Teddy was a boy Miss Thompson just didn't like. His hair was unkempt, his clothes had a musty smell. He certainly wasn't an attractive boy. He wasn't likable. When she got his papers, she got a certain pleasure out of putting X's next to the wrong answers. When she put an F at the top of the page, she always did it with a flare. She had Teddy's records. She knew more about him than she wanted to know. The records read, first grade, Teddy shows promise with his work and attitude, but he, but he has a poor home situation. Second grade, Teddy could do better. His mother is seriously ill. He receives little help at home. Third grade, Teddy's a good boy, but he's too serious. He's a slow learner, and his mom died this year. Fourth grade, Teddy is very slow, but well-behaved. His father shows no interest. Well, Christmas came this one particular year, and the boys and girls uh, in Miss Thompson's class brought her Christmas presents. They piled them high on the desk, and among them was one from Teddy. His was the gift that was wrapped in brown paper bag, held together with some scotch tape. On the package was written the simple words, For Miss Thompson from Teddy. When she opened Teddy's present, out fell a gaudy rhinestone bracelet with half the stones missing and half a bottle of cheap perfume. The other boys and girls in Miss Thompson's class began to laugh over Teddy's gift, but she quickly put on the bracelet and put some perfume on her wrist and held it up for the boys and girls to smell. They took their cues from Miss Thompson from this point, and they responded with oohs and ahs. Doesn't it smell lovely, said Miss Thompson, and the children all agreed. At the end of the day, when school was over and all the children were leaving, Teddy lingered behind he finally came over to her desk and he said softly, Miss Thompson, you smell just like my mom. And her bracelet looks real good on you too. I'm glad you like my present. When Teddy left that day, Miss Thompson got down on her knees and she asked God to forgive her. The next day, when the children came, they were welcomed by a new teacher. Miss Thompson had become a different person. She was changed. She was transformed. She'd become an agent of God and now was a person committed to loving children and doing things for them that would live on after her. She helped all the children in her class, especially Teddy. And by the end of that school year, all the children in her class showed improvement, especially Teddy. He had caught up with most and was ahead of some of the people in his class. 
She didn't hear from Teddy for a long time. Then she received a note that read, Dear Miss Thompson, I wanted you to be the first to know. Excuse me. I'm going to be graduating second in my class. Love, Teddy. Four years later, she received another note. Dear Miss Thompson, they just told me I'd be graduating first in my class. The university has not been easy. I wanted you to be the first to know. Love, Teddy. Four years later. Dear Miss Thompson, as of today, I am Theodore Stollard, M.D. How about that? I wanted you to be the first to know. I'm getting married next month, the 27th to be exact, and I want you to come and sit where my mother would if she were still alive. Dad died last year. You're the only family I have now. Love, Teddy. Miss Thompson went to that wedding, and she sat where Teddy's mother would have sat. She deserved to be there because of the time and effort and allowing God's grace to transform her. We get a phone call three, four, five times a year from a young lady named Gladys. When Janie and I got married, um, she was a teacher, home ec teacher at Mansfield High School. And, you know, Janie was all of 22 when she started. And, and a lot of people thought she actually got in trouble from the principal and other people for being in the hallway when class was start. She was scolded. She came in, I got scolded again because they thought she was a student. You need to be in class. And she said, I'm Mrs. Washburn. And one time she actually had to pull out her ID and, and show them that she was Mrs. Washburn. She came home one day and she told me about this freshman girl named Gladys. And she said, Gladys just doesn't have much, much home life. And she said, for whatever reason, she likes me. And so Janie pulled her aside and started telling her what a beautiful girl she was. Um, she started telling her that, that when you date boys, you, you don't have sex with boys. And, and she didn't understand that at first. She said, everybody has sex. And she goes, no, God has more in store for you. You need to be a virgin when you get married. And Janie just taught her all of these things. And this girl would come back over and over and over again. And, and several years later, she called Janie and she said, I want you to come sit where my family sits at my wedding. And Janie did. And to this day, she calls on my birthday. She calls on Janie's birthday. She calls on East. Any excuse, Gladys calls and talks to Janie. And she told her the other, because Janie said, you're beautiful. God has a plan for you. She's married. She has these kids. She's a hard worker. She's a good girl. And she'll tell you that Ms. Washburn helped change her. That's the grace of God that transforms you. Well, in the movie, it seems like Sam and Michaela keep getting bumped into. Well, they get bumped into again, and they have some more problems. Watch how they react to them. So, uh, ladies' man 217. That is your eBay username, right? Yeah, but, you know, it was a typo, and I ran with it. What do you make of this? My name is Sam. Is that you? Yeah, that, that sounds like ladies' man. Last night at the station, you told the officer your car transformed. Enlighten me. Well, here's what I said, okay? Because this is a, a total misunderstanding that my car had been stolen. Really? From me, um, from my home, and but it's fine now because it's back. It came back. Well, not by itself. Well, no. Because cars don't do that because that would be crazy. <laughs> So what do you kids know about aliens, huh? Oh, you like a Martian? Like what, E.T.? <laughs> no. Uh, it's an urban legend. Yeah. You see this? This is like a do-whatever-I-want-and-get-away-with-it badge. Right. I'm going to lock you up forever. But you know what? Don't listen to him. He's just pissy because he's got to get back to guarding the mall. You, in the training bar, do not test me. Especially with your daddy's parole coming up. What? 
parole. It's nothing. A grand theft auto, that ain't nothing? You know those cars my dad used to teach me to fix? Well, they, they weren't always his. You stole cars? Well, we couldn't always afford a babysitter, so sometimes he had to take me along. She's got her own juvie record to prove it. She's a criminal. Criminals are hot. Well, it'd be a real shame if he had to rot in jail the rest of his natural life. It is time to talk. That's one of my favorite lines. Turned out to be an alien robot. Well, by this point of the movie, their attitudes have changed. And they get to be part of the solution to all of Earth's problems. Now, what happens in a movie in the span of about two hours in real life takes a lot longer. But if you'll allow God to transform your past, I can guarantee this. He's going to use you to be the solution to someone else's problems and change their destiny. There's a Gladys in your life that needs someone like you to come along and love them and encourage them and point them the right direction. But you have to make the choice today that will transform your attitude and you just might become that solution. So here's the third thing that, that we got to do if we're going to be transformed. we got to plan to grow up. And I'll explain that more in just a minute. But you've got to make a plan. You've got to choose to grow up. No one else is responsible for your spiritual maturity but you. Don't blame your mom and dad. Don't blame the color of your room. Don't blame that they dropped you on your head when you were a baby. Don't blame those things because at some point, this is what drives me crazy when I'm talking to people. They want to blame everybody else and it makes me insane. It's always someone else's fault. Grow up and accept responsibility for your choices because God can transform them. But you've got to make that plan. Look what it says in Philippians chapter 3. I'm still not all that I should be. This is Paul. This is the person who wrote half the New Testament. Greatest preacher except for Jesus in the history of the world. He says, I am still not all I should be. But I'm bringing all my energies to bear on this one thing. That's a key. I'm bringing everything to bear on one thing. Not 15,000 things. One thing. Forgetting the past. And looking forward to what lies ahead. I strain to reach the end of the race and receive the prize for which God is calling us up to heaven because of what Jesus Christ did for us. This next Sunday, we're going to start a new series called Better Together. And we're going to spend six weeks talking about how God created us for relationships and how everything that God created us to do are better in relationship. Did a wedding last night. One of the things that I say in weddings is when God looked down in the Garden of Eden and saw that, that Adam was alone, it's the one thing in all of creation that was not good. And so God created Eve to correspond to his needs, to rescue him from his aloneness. God created the physical family to rescue us from aloneness. God created the spiritual family to replace our sorry families that aren't any good at helping us grow. I mean, honestly, the two greatest establishments in the history of mankind, the physical family started with Adam and Eve, the spiritual family, the church started with Jesus Christ. And so the next six weeks, we're going to do this and we're going to help you take steps to grow spiritually. And you can't do it by yourself. You may want to, you may be one of those individualists and you're going to go off by yourself and Satan's going to pick you off because you can't do it by yourself. But if you'll make a choice to get involved, 
I mean, and what what do you got to lose? The way you're doing it probably isn't working. When I do premarital counseling, I do all of these assessments. You know, I'll do a personality assessment and I'll do a love language assessment, all these different things. And all I have to do, it, somebody can fill this out. And those that have gone through it, you, you understand this. I can look at just what your personality is and I can tell you where you're going to have conflict with your future spouse. We can, we can figure out some things from that because there are clues in the way you live your life. And, and I don't know how anybody can get married and have a successful marriage apart from Jesus Christ. So if I'm going to be involved in a marriage, I want to do some of the premarital counseling and try to set you up to win. But you can't even be the person, the husband, the father, the wife, the mother. You can't be the person that God intended for you to be by yourself. It is impossible. Because Satan wants you out there by yourself and he wants to pick you off and he's going to cause you to stumble over and over and over again. But you can make a simple choice in the next few weeks that will help you grow spiritually. And, and so we're going to start that next week, but you don't have to wait until next week. I'm going to show you something here in a second. You can start today. Look at Psalm 119.11. It says, I have thought much about your words and stored them in my heart so that they would, uh, they would hold me back from sin. So the way to get started on this spiritual growth is to memorize, personalize, and analyze. Here's what I mean by that real quickly. You need to have God's word hidden in your heart. This says, I have thought much about your words and stored them in my heart. That means memorized. The reason you're defeated is because you got no bullets in your gun, spiritually speaking. When Jesus was tempted, what did he respond with? The word of God. And so you can't do that because you don't know it. And so start memorizing God's word. Start with a verse a week. It's not hard. Start with this verse if you want to. And then you um, personalize. You put your word. So for example, for example John 3.16 for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Personalize that. For God so loved me. Put your name in there. For God so loved Doug. For God so loved Jamie. For God so loved Jacob. For God so loved Corey. For God so loved Jared. For God so loved Chad. That He gave His one and only Son. That if Chad, Jared, Jacob, Corey, Jamie, I don't know if I missed anybody, would believe in him, they could have everlasting life. You make it personal. And then the last thing is you analyze. Don't make a decision without consulting the Word of God and people who are more mature than you are spiritually. 95% of what God wants you to do is contained in here and you're missing it because you never spend any time in here. If, if, you're, if you come to our church, and a lot of people call New Life home that, that aren't members and aren't even regular, honestly. If you come once or twice a year, this really isn't your church home. If you go visit mom and dad, you know, my mom and dad live in Borger, Texas. I go once or twice a year. That's not my home anymore. My home is where I dwell and maybe the problem is you've not committed to a church family. Maybe you're not dwelling here. You probably haven't been transformed. If God changes you, He changes your attitude. He changes your actions. He transforms your wallet. So that the things of God 
The things you own, really, you don't, even, you don't even call your own. You call them God's. Every week, we have an opportunity for people to give back to God. It's called our joy basket. We don't pass the offering plates around here. Good. It's called our joy basket. I caught you off guard, I know. We don't pass an offering plate here. We believe the people of God should be mature enough to walk by the joy basket. The reason we call it that is the Bible says God loves a cheerful giver. We believe people ought to be mature enough to walk by and contribute to the kingdom of God on a regular basis. And, and the Bible says the starting point is a tenth. Ten percent. The starting point. It's not, you're not super mature if you give ten percent. You're actually a baby Christian if you give ten percent of your income. And Janie and I have been given more and more. We give to Bagel. I love it. Building a great life. That's we're trying to get out of debt because we don't believe God wants us in debt. So we give a, a big chunk of our income to that as well. We believe the people of God should be mature enough that they provide a place like this for people who are questioning, who are searching. And we use movies, we use everything we can to try to communicate with people who are far from God to help them come to God. But we don't want them just to come to God. We want them to grow up. We want them to be transformed. And so we, we offer stuff like this. We offer impact for our students. We offer things for our children going on back there. We offer small groups to try to get you connected with other people who will help you grow. But the choice is yours, whether you're going to do that or not. Would you bow your heads for just a moment? I want you just to ask God this, this one question. What do you want me to do now? Based on what I just heard, God, what do you want me to do now, today? What do you want me to commit to today? Ask Him that. Father, reveal Yourself to Your people and change us. Help us to embrace our past, to embrace our pain, and become the people you want us to become. In Jesus' name, amen.